Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So let's read over what we're going to do this morning. We're going to cover three verses this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless... You believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then we'll cover the rest next week, so please read on. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells in us, amongst us. And maybe for some of us this past week, asking for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to come upon us. So Lord, we just thank you and praise you that we are not in this life alone. You have not left us orphaned, but you have given us the Holy Spirit that we can rely upon, trust in, be comforted by, especially during these evil days. Grieving, it's so grieving what's taking place, but yet it has to take place. And we thank you that we know the rest of the story. You've already won. You've already got a plan laid out. Help us to just trust in you more and more each day, knowing that your plan's gonna come to pass and that we're a part of that plan. We're ambassadors for Christ to reach people in our workplace that no one else might be able to reach for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go over this chapter, this chapter is a wonderful chapter. It's a chapter on the resurrection. The word of God, according to the word of God and according to the Center for Deceit Control, 10 out of 10 people still die. It's amazing. So if you're here today and you don't think you're going to die, you are going to die. Guaranteed. You see, the Corinthians were no different than any group of people. Remember that one reason why this letter was written was they were looking for answers to the various questions that any new believer has. Some of Paul's answers would form and become doctrinal positions for the faith. And in this chapter, we're going to see another one of those questions that the Corinthians had asked Paul about. And it is a question that everyone, everyone, sooner or later, ponders, wonders, or talks about. What happens to our bodies? Everyone wonders about this. Everyone ponders about this. Everyone talks about this. Sooner or later, after this short span of time called life is over. In the psalm, we see this. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Now, we know some people are exception to that. My dad lived to be 100. My mom was 95 before they went home. But typically... I think right now the average lifespan uh, in America, I think, is like 70, roughly 78 for ladies and 76 for guys, roughly something like that. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Thinking of eternity, guys, 70, 80, even 100 years. Think of 2,000 years since the resurrection. So my dad lived to be 100. 
What's 100 years compared to 2,000? Everything that's taken place in those other 1,900 years. Incredible. And that's even not even, can, cannot even compared to eternity. It's a very serious question and one that has a unique answer as far as Christianity is concerned. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. I move quickly because I've got a lot to cover this morning. You see, as believers in the whole word of God, Christians worship a risen Savior. Luke chapter 24, 3 through 9. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now these were ladies. These weren't the disciples. These weren't men. The ladies were the ones going to anoint the body of Jesus. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the angels spoke to the ladies, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. So the angels are quoting what Jesus said during the ministry. The disciples heard the first part of it that he'd be delivered into the Gentiles, that he'd be crucified. And as soon as they heard that, because they knew crucifixion was death, nobody got off the cross alive. They immediately stopped listening. They checked out. But Jesus always said, as you search the scriptures, as you look at the gospels, Jesus always said what the angel says, and the third day, rise again. They didn't hear that. They didn't hear that. And they remembered his words Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You see, what we have is a belief system that makes such a claim. Only belief system, which we'll see next week, is backed up with numerous witnesses over a 40-day period. Now, since we've just finished up the gifts, we know that there are doctrinal differences amongst Christians over spiritual gifts and their use. Those doctrinal differences have no bearing upon our eternal salvation, though. That's key. That's so important. There are some doctrinal differences that we, as a universal body of Christ, that we have to agree to disagree on. Thinking of the rapture. Some people will say that the rapture is a relatively new teaching. Only 100, 150 years old. No, it's 2,000 years old. It's in the scriptures. And some people say, well, it's pre It's mid, it's post, or as I've already mentioned, it doesn't even exist. You see, that's that's not something that we should argue about. That's not a doctrine for salvation. Once we arrive in heaven, though, those doctrinal differences that so many thought were important to argue over, and that's why I say so many times, don't argue. If you want to come and share the scriptures, I'd love to hear the scriptures. I'd love to share the scriptures with you. Love to get your take on the scriptures. But I'm not going to argue over emotions over feelings, over thoughts. In heaven, they'll all be settled. But as far as this issue of resurrection, there is no room for doctrinal differences. See, if we compromise at all in the resurrection, well, then he was just a great prophet. He was just a really good teacher. He was an ordinary man. Some will say he was a myth. He didn't even exist. No, the resurrection took place. 
For as we will see, the doctrinal position of the resurrection will definitely have an eternal consequence. Because at Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, this is what you need to do to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, in other words, if you died today, and I ask this to people that are unsure, I say, well, if you died today, would you go to heaven? When they pause, I know immediately that they're not saved. Or if they're a young believer, they haven't been clarified in their mind. A solid believer, no hesitation. Of course. Of course. Why wouldn't I? Of course. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, so if you do that, but you do that premised on what? And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You have to believe in the resurrection because confessing Jesus doesn't mean you're saved. Muslims will confess Jesus. Jesus is in the Quran. He's in their most holy book. He is mentioned. That doesn't matter. He's not God. Mormons will knock on your door and say, oh, they've got the badge. Jesus Christ is on their badge. But that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. He's not God. He's not the son of God. Oh, no, no, no. Jehovah Witnesses, oh, he's an angel. Just an angel. That's all? Just an angel? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now I'm right with God. Before receiving Jesus as my Savior, I was not right with God. I punched the clock every Sunday going to church, saying the prayers, doing the Our Fathers, the Hail Marys, going to Mass, going to confession, doing all those religious things. I was going to hell because I was not right with God. Works does not save you. Only the free gift of of grace by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So that we see without the resurrection, there can be no eternal salvation granted. So doctrine, this is so key. Because even under the banner of Christianity, there are pastors that are teaching their elders and deacons and their flock, don't get hung up with doctrine. Just love everybody. Well, yeah, we should love everybody. God loves everybody. But God doesn't love my sin. Does God love your sin? No. God doesn't love sin. Yes, he loves everyone. But I'm not right with God if I'm living in my sin unsaved. Once I get saved, as I mentioned earlier, I will learn to sin less because I have the word of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. Right and wrong now becomes very, very clear. There's no gray. There's no, well, maybe culture tells me yes, this, that. No, 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 no. So guys, for you and I today, doctrine is essential. What does doctrine mean? It's teaching and instruction. Doctrine is not something to be feared, but something that we must seek after in order to become solid in the faith. We have to remain solid in the faith. Jesus even says, guys, in the Gospels, when he comes back to the earth, is he going to find faith on the earth? Not faith in a chair. Faith, doctrinal belief. Is he going to find doctrinal belief on the earth? Well, Only the church can have doctrinal belief. You see, Paul wrote to Titus about what a pastor has to know in order to shepherd the flock of God. In Titus 1.9, we read this, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Pastor Titus, 
I'm writing to you, pastor, that he may be able by sound doctrine, not by jokes, not by fanciful stories, but teaching the word of God, instructing the sheep with the word of God, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Are there contradicts coming into the Christian church? Absolutely. Same-sex marriage. Ordaining homosexuals. Ordaining trans. Condoning certain lifestyles. Living together. Medicinal marijuana. This is creeping, these things are creeping into the church. We have to hold the sound doctrine. Love people. But we don't condone sin, just like we shouldn't condone sin in our lives. We love people. They need to see the love of Christ. But they also need to know that God is just. That God is just. God is love, yes, but God is just. So there is no, nor can there be, any compromise with the doctrine of the resurrection. So again, why is it so important to take a stand for this doctrine? Because what you believe will determine where you spend eternity. (laughs) This is the most important thing. You see, as we will see in this chapter, if a person does not believe in the resurrection of the dead, then they will live like there is no resurrection of the dead. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Who cares? So a person's belief system will also affect their behavior. Not only their eternity, but their temporal their behavior. That person may indeed die tomorrow and the body that they carried around in this life, it will return to the dust again. But as we will see, there is a new spiritual body waiting for everyone, the believer as well as the unbeliever. And the death of this physical body here on this earth will start the life of the new spiritual body for all of eternity. Please read the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 for homework and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first 10 verses. See, that's why it is so important to become solid in certain biblical doctrines, one of which is the doctrine of the resurrection. So verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Well, let's learn a little bit about the Greeks, about their culture in that day and age. You see, the Greeks had numerous groups that had various philosophies. Philosophies. Doctrine is different than a philosophy. The Stoics, for example, believe that all of humanity is part of the universe, and we must find our place in that universe. When we are born, we receive a small divine piece of fire. And when we die, that small divine piece of fire goes back to the collective bonfire of the universe. So those were the Stoics. The Epicureans believed that they they could find happiness by seeking things that brought physical as well as mental pleasure for the day. Because tomorrow... We may die. They didn't believe in any life after death. The followers of Plato believed in reincarnation. Coming back over and over again until you arrive at nirvana or that perfect happiness. You'll notice that there are many within our society today that believe the same things 
that these various groups believed in just once again shows us what the Bible says. There's nothing new under the sun, guys. There's nothing new. So these were the major schools of thought that the Corinthians had grown up with and had to choose from. That's all they had before this. The bodily resurrection from the dead was totally a new concept for them. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Again, when we read the scriptures, you want to kind of read them, and especially when we study them, you want to try to go back, put yourself in their sandals, and go, well, what were they thinking? Why would God, the Holy Spirit, make such an emphasis of the resurrection? I mean, isn't that just normal? I mean, you've been in Christianity, I've been in Christianity 43 years. Most of this stuff is just like, duh. But when I was first reading it, it wasn't duh. It was like, I don't get this. What's this all about? It takes time to learn and to grow. Paul first started ministering in the region of Corinth and he was mocked because he spoke the resurrection. Acts 17, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So dangerous. Religion is so dangerous. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship... I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. We have all these gods. But in case we missed one, let's just build a pedestal and put nothing on it and put something there to the unknown God. Just in case. We got to cover all our bases because we're very religious. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. These are the scholars of the day, guys. These are the really smart people of the day. Like, suppose we are in Washington. These are the really smart people. Really, really smart people. Some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. See, what they're doing is they're mocking Christianity from the highest of heights in our government. Why? Why are they doing that? Have you thought about that? You know, this country was founded on the word of God. They were not all believers. So don't come up and argue to me about this, that, and the other thing. I understand that. But as a whole, and you can go back and see articles, letters, so much information written about Jesus Christ. If we move away from Jesus Christ, we will be toast and so what is the enemy trying to do to america get away from our foundation get away from the bible guys this is the you know what you know what this year is it's the 60th anniversary of removing the bible from schools the 60th anniversary of removing bible from the schools how is that going for us you know back in the 50s Feel free to do a little study on the seven top, seven top things, bad things that were happening in the 50s in schools. Chewing gum, running in a hallway. There's a list out there. And then Google seven worst things that are happening in America's schools today. Rape, stabbings. Yeah, good idea. Let's take the, let's take the Bible out of school. Next year will be 60 years of taking prayer out of school. How are we doing as a society? Hmm. See, we shouldn't be surprised. 
You see, knowing that will help us to understand why Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a lengthy chapter. Guys, this is a long chapter to these young believers. It is a chapter that has and still does help to clarify and comfort millions about this issue of life after death. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians. Well, no, we got a slide. So Paul says that he received the gospel or good news. And what is the good news anyways? Well, here's the good news. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, the really wise people, foolishness. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So here's just a few examples of what the gospel or good news is all about. The good news is that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies that spoke of the coming Messiah. Christ is not his last name. Christ, if you're new to the faith, New Testament written in Greek, Christ, the anointed one, Hebrew, Old Testament, Messiah, the anointed one. So he's the coming of the Messiah. The good news is that Jesus came to set mankind free from sin and the fear of death. The good news is that God loves all of humanity as we approach 8 billion people, all of humanity and desires anyone who would humble themselves and accept Jesus as their Savior to spend eternity in heaven. See, that's what the good news is all about. It's not about what's taking place in Washington. It's about what we have on our laps, that you take into your workplace, that you take into your neighborhoods, that you take to your classmates. That's the good news, guys. And notice that, that that is what the Corinthians had accepted. Here we start to see the evidence of the resurrection. You see, Paul preached to them previously about the resurrection, and even in their paganistic society, they received it as a fact, not just a philosophy, as a fact. Remember that Paul first visited Corinth in 51 AD, the original 50s, and spent roughly 18 months with this newly formed church. Paul is now writing this letter in the mid-50s which was within 25 years of the resurrection. That's going to be key, and I'll bring something up next week. But keep that in mind. Paul is writing within 25 years of the resurrection. You'll find that very interesting next week. Now, if you were in a court of law, you would need evidence to substantiate a claim, right? That's the way it's supposed to work anyways. Here we start to see Paul establishing his case, and he's going to have an ample evidence for the resurrection. So we see that Paul preached the good news. Here's part of the evidence. He preached the good news. The Corinthians received that good news. And as Christians, they were standing in that good news. That's a piece of evidence. The Corinthians were a living proof of a risen Savior by their transformed lives. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, you are a living proof of a resurrected Savior. Whatever your life used to be like, once you received Jesus and you allowed the Holy Spirit to transform your life, your family members saw a difference. They might like that. They might not have liked that. They might have said, you know, you used to be so much fun. Why don't you drink anymore? You're no more fun. Your coworkers have seen a difference in you. You know, you used to get mad. You used to slam things. You, you don't slam things anymore. You, have, you seem to have patience. What's going on with you? 
You see, that's a sign of a risen Savior, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You are evidence of a risen Savior. Now, we're not perfect by any means. So if you're an unbeliever, don't even go down that road. We acknowledge that. We're not perfect. But you should see, and hopefully you have seen, a transformation taking place in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's sex outside of marriage, idolaters, putting something above God, children, grandchildren, anything, sports, your money, your retirement, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's just a partial list. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. And you look up that word sanctified, that word sanctified means set apart. You're now set apart by God. God says, you're mine now. You're my son. You're my daughter. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Seek me. Find me. You'll find me. Knock. I'll answer the door. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified, just as if you'd never sinned. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. As we look back in 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which you also received. You believed it. You accepted it. You're now what? And in which you stand. You're now walking it. Guys, walk in the faith. Walk in the faith in your workplace. Don't walk in your political party. Don't walk in your political party. Walk in the faith. Walk in your trust of the word of God. We know how this ends. Russia invading Ukraine, very good probability. Not because Washington says so, because the Bible says so. The Bible says so. The enemies are going to come from the north, Russia. And as you do your homework in Ezekiel 38, 37, 38, do your homework. They're coming from Russia. There's no doubt they're coming from Russia. Ukraine is right on the north of the Black Sea. Syria, right on the southern edge of the Black Sea. Now we have a perfect route to come down and take Israel. They're, they're, it's going to happen sooner or later. It has to happen. So are we surprised? No, we're not. We're not. Washington might be, but we're not. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. I want to say this right away. When you look up that definition... One of the definitions is to keep safe and sound. To keep safe and sound. Especially if you're a young believer, when you see verses like this, you can get very confused and go, well, I thought I couldn't do any works to be saved. That's why you want to get some books. Very simple. You can even do this under blueletterbible.com. You can do it. You can figure it out. Look up the definitions. This has nothing to do with getting saved. You're only saved by grace through faith. But God is going to keep us saved or keep us safe. Now, that doesn't mean no harm is going to come to us because a lot of Christians have died over the millenniums. But he's going to keep us eternally safe. Nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can take away my salvation. No one, nothing. 
So as you read verses like this, you want to just have that in your mind. Okay, salvation's off the table. I'm saved. I'm, I'm saved. By which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Again, the resurrection is fundamental to salvation. Paul knew that, that culture that the Corinthians were living in and he exhorted them to maintain their new belief system. Hold fast. It means to retain, to keep secure. Young people, young people or young believers, hold fast to the faith. It is under attack. The enemy knows if he can shut churches down, if he can get Bibles out of the hands of people, then they will not believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Not by the hearing of Jim, not by the hearing of a political party, hearing of the word of God. That's why the enemy wants to take and destroy the word of God. You see, if you neglect the resurrection, then you are living in vain. And that word vain there means without a purpose, without a just cause. Without a purpose, without a just cause. What is our purpose in this life? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are not ambassadors for the Second Amendment. We're not ambassadors for the First Amendment. We're ambassadors for the Word of God. Don't put anything above God because that's idolatry. The First Amendment is not above God. We're servants. We're slaves. So without a purpose or without a cause, Paul is saying to them, have you just believed this in vain? No. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Did you notice the first part of that verse? I actually have it highlighted in my Bible. Did you notice a very important principle? And Paul received the truth and then he passed that truth onto the Corinthians in the very beginning part of that verse. You see, we could blow right past this principle, but that's not what we're going to do. Here's the principle, and you will see this played out in our everyday lives, this principle. In the workforce, in school, in dealing with others, you know, in just doing life. We can all relate to this principle, but unfortunately, only a few take the principle and apply it to their faith. So here's the principle. I can only take someone else as far as I've gone myself. And you might think, well, how'd you get that? Read the verse. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In your everyday life, you're learning you're looking, you're taking information in, and if it's good, you're applying that. It was something you didn't know, but somebody went before you, and now they taught you something. They've been there, they've done that. But it also applies to us. When we mentor someone else, I can only take them, whether it's in schooling, whether it's in my job, I can only take them as far as I've gone. 
If they ask me a question about the job and I don't know, what am I going to say? Oh, you have to go talk to so-and-so. They know about that. And that's totally acceptable because there are obviously people that have gone before us. So keep it in context, though. Here's the point that I'd like to make. Husbands or future husbands. We can only take our wives as far as we've gone in the faith. You see, you're the priest of the house, not your wife. You are the priest of the house. You see, when we got saved, Claudia was ahead of me in the faith. She knew more, and her belief system was firm. It was solid. I didn't have that belief system. I was of the, hey, let's party. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I may die, even tonight as I'm driving home. I thank God that I didn't get a prison ministry. I I should have had a prison ministry. I was driving under the influence. I don't boast about that. I was going to hell. I didn't know Jesus. I think most women are that way because they desire a relationship with God. Women are relationship-orientated. Men typically are task-orientated, typically. It's not, that's not good or bad. That's just the way God designed us. But as the priest of the house, us husbands should be leading the family spiritually, which means what, guys, or future husbands? You need to be in the word daily, not on Sunday mornings, daily, daily. And this isn't chauvinistic. It's a principle that, as I've already mentioned, both males and females apply to our daily lives in so many areas. So Paul firmly believed, as we look at these verses, Paul firmly believed what he was about to share. And what did Paul do? He taught them out of the scriptures. Notice what he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So if I'm not in the scriptures, how do I take my wife to the scriptures? If I'm not in the scriptures, how can I take you to the scriptures? It's all about the scriptures. So even if you're not married yet, how can you take your coworkers to the word of God if you're not in the word of God? How can you give them peace about what's going to happen with Russia if you don't even know where it's at? So they might read it tonight on the privacy and go, wow, that's incredible. That was written how long ago? Wow. Guys, the Bible's real. But are we allowing it to be real? You see, Paul taught them out of the scriptures. Now, obviously, he didn't have the New Testament. So he had to have shown them out of the Old Testament. So he taught them that Jesus was the Christ who had to suffer and die. But Paul was not the first one to do this. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Jesus was the first one to do this during that resurrection day. He caught up to a couple of disciples that were walking to their hometown of Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They were greatly discouraged because Jesus had been crucified and was buried. They weren't in the garden tomb on the morning of the resurrection. They were walking back to their hometown. Well, he died. Well, he's buried. Let's go home. Luke 24, 21. But they were hoping that he, it was he, Jesus, who is going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. These are the two men conversing with now Jesus who is resurrected and they don't know who it is. 
He's got his glorified body now. He, he comes along another path. He joins them. Where are you guys going? Home. Okay, I'm going to join you. And they start pouring out their hearts to him. Yes, and certain women of our company, notice that, women, praise God for women. Certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that he had, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. That'd be who? Do you remember? Peter and John. But him, Jesus, they did not see. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones. And when you look up that word, it just means unlearned. He's not calling them fools in a mocking sense. He's saying foolish ones, unlearned ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I would have loved to have this study. And beginning at Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a study that must have been. Just walking along, listening to this guy, they didn't know it was Jesus, sharing the scriptures. First Bible study after his resurrection. I'm sure he took them to Psalm 22, which gave a perfect picture of the crucifixion hundreds of years before it was even invented. He probably took them to the, first, or to the last few verses of Isaiah 52 and then to all of Isaiah 53. His visage was so marred more than any man, beaten beyond recognition, so much so that Pilate had to say, behold the man, unrecognizable. You see, Jesus once again taught them about the suffering servant because they were looking for the conquering Christ. Why were they bummed out and heading home? He's dead. We got to submit to Rome. We thought he was going to overthrow Rome. Maybe he even took them to Genesis 22 and explained the symbolism between Isaac and the Messiah, the Christ. You remember how Abraham was instructed by God to take his one and only son? Wait a minute, he had two, didn't he? No, one and only son, Isaac. Ishmael was of the flesh. Isaac was of the spirit. He took Isaac to Mount Moriah and offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Maybe Jesus even took them through the offerings found in Leviticus. It says he talked about Moses, first five books of the Bible. He definitely explained the most obvious prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9, the 69 sevens. The 69 sevens from the time of the commandment to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah. Do you remember when Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he was coming in on that wonderful day? He, they missed the day. That's why he was weeping over Jerusalem. They should have known the exact day. They missed it. The religious elite who had the word of God missed it. The exact day was prophesied. Now that Paul knew the truth, he stuck with the truth and was passing it on to the church, which we now have the benefit of having in our laps this day. So we get ready to wrap it up here. So is the church going to miss the signs of the coming 70th week? Or what is known as the Great Tribulation? 
Is the church going to miss that? Not on my watch. There's one more week left, guys. Book of Revelation, it's the 70th week. But prior to that great tribulation, and, and I hope I can share this in a loving way and, and lift your eyes because people are thinking, you know, is the shot part of the Antichrist? Um, what we're getting to, is it, are we in the tribulation? The number of deaths? Just do your homework. One more person per day, per state, died in 2021 over 2020. One more person per state, per day, died. In the tribulation, over half the world's population is going to die in the first three and a half years. We have eight billion people. Let's make it easy for me. Say a a billion people go to heaven. Seven billion people, three and a half billion people, billion, not million, billion people are going to die in the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So put your mind at rest with these little things that happen. We're not in the Tribulation. We're not in the Tribulation. That's the wrath of God, the Great Tribulation. Not the wrath of man, the wrath of God. You see, according to the word, there's going to be a falling away or a departure from the faith. That's what you and I need to be aware of. There will be a departure, a falling away from the faith. And we're seeing it happening. We're seeing it happening, even in America. In 2019, 3,000 churches closed in America. 3,000 churches closed in America. There was 1,000 new startups. 3,000 closed. There's going to be a falling away. Don't be a part of that. You can't lose your salvation, but don't be a part of that. That's why we're going to stick with the truth of God's words from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. That way we remember that we know the rest of the story. No matter what happens this week, guys, Russia comes down into the Ukraine. Pray for the Ukrainians. They need Jesus. Pray for the Russians. They need Jesus. And there are brothers and sisters in these countries that they would have boldness to proclaim Jesus. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in these countries. Let's pray for them to have boldness before somebody else dies, that they proclaim the gospel. Let's get our heads in the right place. Jesus said there will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars right before his return. There's a combination of the birth pains, and you ladies that have given birth, when you look at your husband and finally say, we got to go now. This is not false labor. You ladies know this, especially if you've had one, you're on your second, third, or fourth. You know. Now, guys, we're getting close. The birth pains are getting closer and closer. Just keep looking up. Because again, we know the rest of the story. We get to go to heaven. Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessings that we have. Even in this crazy world, as we see this world melting down, We're so blessed here in this little area of Queen Creek. We are just, we're spoiled in so many ways, even though there's more traffic. Big deal. We have a car. We have food. It's going up. Hyperinflation is here. But we can still at least to buy something. Father, we're spoiled, actually. We're just spoiled. So Lord, help us in our being spoiled not to be so comfortable that we forget why we're here. 
that we're just passing through. We're not to hunker down in our houses and hoard things and not go out and preach the gospel. We're to do the opposite. Be a light in a dimming world. Share the love of Christ with those who cross our paths. That we might plant and water and fertilize. That your Holy Spirit would use us. And Lord, if it's your will, that we would pray with someone to receive Jesus this week. That's not far-fetched. Your word says that you take no delight in the in destruction of the wicked. Your word also says that you're long-suffering, willing none to perish. So Lord, you want to use us. The question always comes down, am I available? Are we available for use? Lord, help us to be available this week. These are desperate days. Help us to be aware that people are (laughs) desperate for Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Help us to lift their eyes to the answer that will give them a living hope as we'll be studying next week, a living hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.